Welcome to the Dorkiest Podcast, fellow dorks. I am your co-host, Mike, and joining me is the long-awaited soft reboot of this classic title, which first launched in the August of 1986. Allow me to reintroduce Daniel. Good day to you, my friend. How you been? I've been doing good. As a, um, though I guess in this case, from, in my perspective, it would be a soft launch of from a series from May 1997. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea is that like you are my reboot. Ah, right? <laughs> see, well, that's how jokes work. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember, jokes are always funnier when they have to be explained. <laughs> I, do, well, I have to say that to my fiance way too often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, today's episode is going to be the 2009 Star Trek film where I'm passing the baton on to the next generation. So, uh, congratulations! You are the new in canon host of the Dorkiest Podcast going forward. Nice. That makes me Chris Pine. <laughs> oh, you are Chris Pine. Yeah. Congratulations. Handsome man. <laughs> I meant you, not also. I mean, you, you're... Anyway, Daniel, how have you been? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been good. I, I've been good. I. It has been, a, as we talked off air, it's been a hectic few weeks. I know. You've been my... working hard, man. But also, yeah. that also means you've been playing hard, too. That is, that is right. I have. I have been doing a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You went to a concert recently, didn't you? I, I did. I meant to bring this up on last episode, but the world events took precedent. <laughs> we had more important things to talk about. Yes, but uh, yes, a few weeks ago, I went to Atlanta and saw my favorite band of all time, Me Without You, on their farewell tour. Mm-hmm. Which tickets you bought uh, two and a half years ago? Sure, <laughs> right. <yes. laughs> I like. I so at so many points I debated. I was like, do I just need to? Can-? I mean, actually, technically, I think I ended up getting a refund. I had to rebuy them at one point because they just canceled all the dates because they're like, we don't know when we're ever, ever going to be able to play this again. Yeah, that would end up just getting too messy, huh? Like just trying to yeah. like honor all these tickets from like two and a half years ago, and yeah. who knows which ones are real and which ones are not. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think like after uh, like nine or ten months of them having to keep pushing out, there's like, okay, we're just gonna give you guys a refund we'll let you know when we can actually do this so yeah it, it, I, it didn't cost any more right like you, no you still, no okay. no so i ended up being net positive though they announced their tour the same day they released a bunch of their albums on vinyl so i spent way too much money <laughs> Mike, oh they have, got you they got yeah, you good I, yeah i have three me without you vinyls that i've pre-ordered so. oh nice dude it adds to the collection or are these your first vinyls from that from I, them? Not, you, you have some right yes i have uh I have because uh, two years ago, my fiance got me brother sister right, on vinyl right for on. Christmas, and then I picked up "It's All Crazy" when that pre-order was available. Mm-hmm. So now I have uh, "Catch for Us the Foxes," uh, "A to B Life," and Ten Stories" are all pre-ordered. All oh, right, on yeah. So you have what? There's two left to go. Yes, yes. I still have the last two. They have not put those out for pre-order yet, but. They're, uh, they're, let's say, and they, I even asked, cause I was like, I know pre-orders take a while, vinyl is backed up, but I was like, I even emailed like their store being like, do, I, do we have a release date for this? And cause <laughs> it's just one guy, one guy runs their st- whole store. Oh so wow, just, really? And he's also their A&R guy and he does their merch on tour. That's what he says. Like, well, we're on tour right now and I run the merch table. So the, the they said they're almost ready. The pre-orders probably will fly ships or shipping out after the tour ends. 
Okay, he's cool. Like, he's like, I'm just busy. I'm like, that's that is understandable. <laughs> he's actually on tour with them. Like, I see, you can't really ship out the vinyls. He's so like, the one vinyls guy are currently... doing all that stuff. So I imagine like yeah. you sent the email two and a half years ago, and he just now got to you. Now. <laughs> no, surprisingly enough, they respond like within two or three days. I appreciate wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because he said like all the vinyls are like that, that we have. He's like, we got our first batch of vinyls. They're all in my house. So he's like, I will send them <laughs> out when I get back. Man, that is, you got to respect the hustle there, dude. It's like, that is like great to be that DIY, like 20 something years into your career. Yeah. Tell me about it. But uh, how, like, how much longer do they have on the, on the tour? Uh, I think they wrap up in July. I don't know exactly, but I know they're going to end with like three playing three different shows in their hometown in Philly. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So how was the show itself? You know, your fa- favorite band and this is pretty much the last time you're ever going to see them. Yeah, and I, it was amazing, of course. I like that Aaron was very, like, again, he's just himself very energetic. I see a very uh, charismatic front man. I appreciate they just full on, like, went all out and, like, tied bouquets of flowers around every microphone, which they used oh, to do, like, awesome. in the early 2000s. So they had, like, the big banner. Like, they could tell they went all out with the set and everything. Yeah, every song that you wanted to to hear live, did they play? Yeah, I I think so. I don't like. I think there may have been. No, actually, no. No, I think they played every single song I could want. Oh, that's awesome, man! That's exactly what you want on a farewell tour, man. Yeah, and it just like and the crowd is like, I, me thought you just has the best crowds, and because they're all just like such genuine, like happy people, like. Mm-hmm. I, there are two women in front of me that were just like jumping up and down and like had their arms around each other singing to the top of the lungs every song like that's just that's great that's infectious that's pure and, joy exactly and it's like and the absolute uh, cutest thing was uh i was in line for merch to check out the merch table before the show started and right behind me in line was a guy with like his daughter that couldn't have been like more like 10 or 12 mm-hmm. and and him just like explaining like because she explaining like stuff about the lyrics of the band to her i'm just like that is absolutely <laughs> adorable well that's awesome anyways it was just great and uh, i i unsurprisingly i i broke down when they started playing julia because i for that's my favorite song for that band and, yeah yeah right on man was that a was that a, a an end of the set t- type of song no could... i play that probably probably right about in the middle which is a good like midpoint for that they mm-hmm. Kind of a, yeah, kind of like take a, take take a break a little bit, kind of, kind of take a break from the energy, you know, change the yeah. mood a little bit. Very cool. Yeah, like, yeah, and like, so every song was amazing. I just had the time of my life. It was a great. Uh, also, uh, I don't know how much you're familiar with like uh, the opening band. The opening band was the band Sixty Eight, which is Josh Scoggins' new band, who used who was on the was the singer for the first Norma Jean album. Oh no, I've never heard. I mean, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with Norman Jean, so I I I I don't follow that band or follow news of that band. But uh, this band's yeah, called Sixty Eight. Yeah, it's like they're very fun. They're a jam band. Like they even said, like one of the songs, they say, "Hey, this song we wrote like two minutes ago. It doesn't have a name. We're just gonna play." <laughs> and like it's literally just like they just it's just him on guitar and then the drummer. Oh wow, that is and it's just like crazy. A, it's just like a, think of it like Royal Blood if they were a punk band. If they were a punk band, is that a, is that a jab at? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think they're sort of clear that they're an indie band. I do not consider anything. Oh, about okay, band. all right. <laughs> they got punk albums, but, but that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, and like so, since he was the lead singer on the first Norma Jean album, that first Norma Jean album has Aaron for me without you on it. 
Oh, okay. So they went from, and you know, they played out one song, and then they like weaved in from one of their songs that section of that song, and Josh Goggin came out to do the screaming parts for it. Oh, that's sick, and dude. You could, and you could tell who the OG, like, Me Without You and Norma Jean fans were, because, like, half the crowd was like, I have no idea what's going on. The other half were, like, <laughs> forming a mosh pit. <laughs> nice, and Josh Goggin was, like, screaming while crowd surfing. He was, you know, like, very 68 with very bands of we're gonna smash our guitars when this is all over kind mm-hmm. of bands. Man, that's crazy, dude. That sounds like an intense night. Yes, it was great. And I have conclusion. I like I like shows that are just two bands. <laughs> that's how yeah. I like last two shows. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather that than five bands where I don't know half of them. <laughs> yeah, and then you of course you want to get there early. You want to get your for one, you want to get your money's worth, and two, you want to like try to discover you know, a new band or, you know, some, some new tunes or whatever, but like, come on, get the show on the road. Come on. It's like, <laughs> this I isn't what I'm here for. It's like, I no offense to the local openers. I don't need, I just like, like none of us are going to be singing along. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. We're just going to like clap politely every, every three and a half minutes when your song's over. And it's like, Hey, go ahead and sing along with the words. Like, we don't even know you dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sir, I've never heard of you up until this very moment. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you can have those memories in your brain hole now. Yes. Uh, any other shows lined up for the for the rest of the year? Uh, no, I said with the uh, with the wedding, everything going up. I think that's probably going to, for all intents and purposes, that should be my last show of the year, which I'm totally okay with ending on that note. Dude, you've got like two months to go with that wedding, bro. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yes. So every day and it feels like i'm constantly behind on something i should be doing <laughs> well you know what you're you're never too busy for video games daniel what is it that you're playing over there <laughs> i say like, i have not been playing what i you know i've been chipping away at ghost of tsushima mm-hmm. so i was having having some fun times there and what's, uh, your, what's your progress on that these uh these, these have you like unlocked a lot more of them uh of, of the island I, yeah, I'm slowly but surely. I, I, I think I'm gonna stop like going to every single tiny, let's say, side quest I come across because I'm like, oh, well, as fun as that is, I feel like making no progress mm-hmm. linearly. So I'll probably start uh, hunkering down to stick to like the main, like stories of Tsushima and the main story overall. Yeah, I'll give you a heads up right now. Uh, no spoilers or anything, but the I, I feel like the end of the game, like post game, is the perfect time to. Um, tackle all that side quest side side stuff that like you uh neglected to do over the course of the game so maybe find uh you know if there's a side quest that like you just need to know the the end of the story beat like go for it continue continue on with that but like i think you're perfectly safe just sticking with the main path uh, for the rest of the game yeah it definitely as it that makes sense i i needed to look it up but i'm at this point i never know with open world games where it's one of those do I get a save point before the final mission if I want to go back and do stuff, or does it just let me continue go work working the world after? It's like I never know with some of these games. Yeah, this game actually does a pretty good job of warning you uh, that you're gonna that you're for all the big major stuff like oh you're you're about to reach a point of no return for a little while. Do you want to continue? That makes sense. So that's good. But yeah, I've been chipping away at that, and uh, also Mike, I think big news on the PlayStation front. I got my first platinum. You got a platinum? I got a platinum. You got a platinum. This is your first platinum. My first platinum was playing with my PlayStation 5. Ooh, what is it, dude? Tell me. I say it is my it is because I concluded my Renegade Mass Effect 2 playthroughs. So Mass Effect oh, 2. Oh wow. Platinum. 
you got the platinum on that dude you are a braver man than i <laughs> awesome man yes so that was great i have like i and so i did that uh confirming uh not just by shocking to you not at all but confirming mass Effect, probably my pay, my favorite game trilogy oh that, yeah dude tell me about it. yeah it, it was so f- much fun going over that deep dive of all three of those games with the legendary edition you know, a few months ago man what a it, it was great being reminded just how timeless those games are right and just like, like i said like the and like I said, the renegade continues to be very fun <laughs> and like hey even with a renegade playthrough still managed to, everybody managed to survive the suicide mission <laughs> <laughs> Just goes to show, man, like, you, you, you know, uh, 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 damn it, uh, Shepherd, a damn fine leader, no matter how crappy they act. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's what so I started in Mass Effect 3. I think I have like six trophies I need to get in that. Unfortunately, I, and I do slightly dislike this. One of the trophies does require a new game plus on Mass Effect 3. So, yeah, those are always the least fun trophies to go get no matter yeah. what game it is. <laughs> yeah, especially because it's just like, it's literally like you have to level up a gun to level 10. And they say like, we can only level it up to level five unless you <laughs> new game plus. So I literally have to play the entire prologue again with my same character just to go to my, sh- just go to the Normandy and upgrade my gun five times. And then be pop. <laughs> Ugh, thanks game. <laughs> I'm like, game, was that really necessary? <laughs> no, it wasn't. They just wanted to, make you mad that's all <laughs> yes so turn you into I'll, the renegade exactly so i'll continue uh while i get hopping between go tsushima and renegade mass effect 3 playthrough and that will uh close that out that, that'll probably like uh satiate you until your wedding basically yes <laughs> yeah right uh, yeah so i said so, and then uh then you know the next year i have it lined up i will do my insanity playthrough of mass effect to get those last legendary uh, trophies yeah because you know there's the there's the individual trophy list for each three of the games and then there's the trophy list for the legendary edition for completing all three of the games yes and and those are the only trophies i have for the legendary edition left are just to beat each game on insanity straight up maniac you are daniel i i i am (laughs) (laughs) cool dude yeah, so that's all I got. So, uh, Mike, what have you been playing over there? Uh, too much, actually. Uh, today I'm bringing uh, five games, uh, three of three of which I've completed and rolled the credits on. Uh, so I will be uh, doing a full review of those uh, right now. Uh, first of which, uh, you know, I've mentioned this a couple times, uh, Death's Door. This is the game that Erica and I have been playing uh, just on the couch together. Uh, and if you don't remember, if, if you don't remember, if you're just kind of hopping in over here, uh, you're, this is a, this is an indie game. Uh, the developer is Acid Nerve. It's a developer I'm not familiar with. Uh, apparently they've made a couple games in the past. Uh, the premise of this game is that you play as a small crow who works as a reaper of sorts, uh, like many of the real world myths and uh, legends uh, of our world and, our, and many different cultures kind of think that crows do. Uh, and you're the prim- and in the game, like your your job is to collect souls for a company called the Reaping Commission headquarters. Uh, and uh, story stuff happens, and it leads you to have to go find the, these giant souls from these uh, big giant. I guess they can they kind of lord over different realms, so you have to go get it from them. Uh, so gameplay wise, it kind of plays like a top down old school Legend of Zelda type of game mixed with some combat of like 
souls games more you know uh more commonly like dark souls or demon souls demons souls uh and it's a it's a wonderful mixture of those two and the art direction is incredible uh the combat is nice and fluid and you always feel like you're in complete control of what's going on uh and about midway through though this is kind of my only real gripe with the game is that the difficulty spike is almost um like a huge gatekeep like uh, i can imagine like a lot of people will get to this particular part like about midway through this through the game and just hit a wall and not be able to pass it like i barely did and like yeah and i and i platinumed bloodborne you know uh so (laughs) uh but uh yeah it's so it's it's quite difficult but i think it's doable like i think if you pat and I, i think one of the problems too was that i was just kind of returning to the game after putting it down every three or four days or so took me about 15 to 17 hours to get through it all and that was and and i'd say like maybe a fourth of that was a lot of like erica asking me to like go to this go to this realm again because she wanted to go you know hang out with those monsters in the in that realm so it was a lot of like just meandering and stuff like that but it's a but it's a fantastic game i'd highly recommend it um it's it tends to be on sale um a lot especially on xbox and playstation uh, you can find it on those you can find it on switch and it's on uh windows as well for all those services um nice. again just yeah just kind of watch out for the difficulty if you're if difficult games are not your thing then this might be a, a game that you might want to pass there are no difficulty options either uh so you just have to play the game the, the way the game wants you to play it uh but it is worth checking out at least like if if you can find a demo or something i, I don't know if steam has a demo um but it, i'd recommend just like playing it for a little bit see if it might be something you might want to play or if you're just a like a fan of like old school legend of zelda games this might be something that might be up your alley as well yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at let's see images of it. It definitely looks really cool. Yeah, yeah, and the art direction is like very endearing too. Like, and don't let the, it's one. Of, it's also one of those things like where it kind of like fools you into a false sense of security. Like, oh, this is a cute little game with cute little crows and cute little imps and and and, and little monsters and stuff. No, it's 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 gonna make you scream if you're a person that has little patience. <laughs> But uh, let's see, moving on now to a game that I, this is a short little game. Uh, I got this uh, physically from Limited Run Games. This is a game that came out in 2011. And this game actually is what spurred today's topic of the show for me. Uh, And this is Blood Rain Betrayal. This is specifically the Fresh Bites edition, kind of like the enhanced refresh edition that came out in 20, 2021. Uh, it's available uh, on the PlayStation consoles, it's on Xbox consoles, and it's on Switch and Windows as well. Uh, so are you familiar with the Blood Rain series at all? Uh, that's I do know of it, and sad to say I did think I do think I've seen one of the movies. Oh, that's right. There's movies. <laughs> there's like, yeah, there's movies. I remember I because I like when I was younger, I used to love to watch everything, every crappy movie that came on Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel. I think I saw like Blood Rain three like multiple times. Oh my gosh, I have it up right now. So there's uh, there's two direct to DVD sequels, and that's that's what that, that's probably what you saw here. Blood Rain two Deliverance. Oh no, Blood Rain the Third Reich. 
Uh, I don't Dur- think that's right. It might have been Deliverance, and I remember that sounds terrible. Uh, directed by Uwe Boll. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's that's all that needs to be said about that. Isn't oh it? no! Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just kind of derailed my <laughs> anyway anyway okay so you are familiar with the blood rain franchise which is good so blood yes, rain I if you don't know uh is a is is an old like playstation and i think playstation 2 uh franchise like action adventure type of franchise uh kind of hack and slashy back before like devil may cry changed what hack the hack and slash genre used to be um and you played like a vampire named rain who I'll be honest, I don't know too much about this series. Uh, I just know that like, you know, it, it was a series I was around when I was growing up and I always meant to get into it, but just never really got around to it. I got other things to play. Uh, but this is a reinvention of that series. Uh, Arc System Works, who is known for um, like 2D fighters, like um, Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear and stuff like that. So they kind of took this game back in 2011 and turned it into like a side scrolling hack and slash beat em up type of game. And it kind of, and, and as far as like the aesthetics go and uh, like the, the overall tone of what this series is, and uh, you know, I, it, is, it is like a full reboot and, you know, turning it into something else. Like it fits really well. Uh, granted again, I, I don't know like the, full lore of the of those games i'm sure the lore is amazing especially the film the third reich um but we <laughs> <laughs> ball hasn't let us down yet my friend uh but uh I, I i gotta say that anybody who's interested in this one uh i'd highly highly recommend uh finding your favorite reviewer and like if they've reviewed it maybe check out what they think because i this is this is barely a good game in my opinion. And I, I kind of feel bad that like I spent so much money on it because <laughs> I, because I got the physical version, like I said, from um, uh, limited run games and like, it looked really cool. And like the trailer looked really neat. And I thought, you know, I love hack and slash games. You know, I was wanted something that was artfully done and, and just had a cool vibe to it. And it, it's got all that stuff, but like the gameplay is still kind of rough and janky. And it's so weird that this is like the, the refresh remake of the 2011 game because you would think that you would you know clean all that stuff up like for example like there's platforming elements but the platforming isn't precise like you're constantly falling off of floating platforms and like trying to jump onto like moving objects or trying to jump off the head of like a demon that's like floating so you can get to a platform and like that only works if your platforming is if, if the player has like full control over your character during the platform segments, it's one of those things where like, if you start moving in midair, your character is just going to continue that move. You can't cancel that move and like try to, you know, correct it while you're in midair. It's, it's so frustrating sometimes, but the, the combat is like it's kind of the same thing. Like you can't cancel out your own attacks. Like you, you can't dodge mid attack either. So you're kind of at the whims of, the way this game wants you to play, but like not in a good way that like death death's door does just kind of like, you're just kind of at the whims of the, of the, of the jank, unfortunately. Um, but uh, it, it's not like terrible though, but it, it is, it's still doable. I was still able to get through it like without too many deaths, but um, 
uh, I don't know. This this might be if anybody's coming across this in any way, uh, it might be a hard pass. Uh, but again, it, your your mileage may vary. Uh, it's it's I, I'd probably give this like a two and a half out of five if if it was you know my review scale or something. But the I mean yeah, art direction is really cool. Music's really good. Um, you know, it's got a good vibe and stuff like that but if it this could have been like a really good game if they just kind of tweaked the platforming and the combat just a tiny bit that makes sense so there's a good game in there somewhere it, yeah I, I think in the i think in the hands of like another developer like they could have really just even just took the skeleton of the original game of 2011 and like just redid it just a tiny bit like it would have been great and i think this game would have had like a resurgence and you know it it might have been a a franchise that was brought back from the dead like we're going to be talking about a little bit later uh so yeah again maybe check it out maybe find some reviews from um reviewers that you trust but if you ever want to jump into this game and and don't bother getting it physically because like i got a few stickers for (laughs) for a game i barely liked right so whatever (laughs) Uh, but uh, I also ended up starting uh, in the last couple of weeks and finishing uh, this cool indie game uh, called Haven. And this is a game that released uh, originally on PS5 and Xbox Series X in, two, in December of 2020 and then came to Switch and PS4 in 20, uh, February 2021. Uh, the developer for this is called The Game Bakers, and they aren't really known for anything big. Uh, I kind of looked through their um, kind of game library and it's just a bunch of like mobile stuff i don't know of something on wii u called squids odyssey uh and then this is their most recent game and it seems like they've put a lot of love and effort into this uh you know go ahead and stop me like if you if you're familiar with this or anything but like i saw this at like a indie direct or it might have been like uh like some press conference or something where they were doing like the indie showcase and then this game showed up uh so the premise of this game is that you play as a two lovers named you and k and they've uh they've crash landed well, not crash landed they they escaped to this planet called source and the reason why they escaped there is part of the overall mystery that slowly unravels throughout the game you get to know them a little bit and you get to kind of um learn why they're there you get you get to learn you know why they fell in love and who they are as people what they how you know what they care about each other so it's kind of a mixture between almost like um um like i mean you 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 had a ps3 so you're, you're you're familiar with like the game journey right yeah yes i am yeah, like something like Journey, something like Flower, where like the traversal is just like it's just you're just you're just gliding along uh, along like the, the the floor and just 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 having a good time and just enjoying like the breeziness of it. Uh, and then it's kind of like and so you kind of mix that with like um like a narrative adventure, like kind of like a like the like Telltale's Walking Dead or or, or the other Telltale games, and that's what like that's where most of the story kind of like takes place too. So kind of a mixture between those two. So it's, it really caught my eye with how unique this was. Uh, the art direction is very bright, very beautiful. Uh, on Switch, it is a little muddy, but um, it, I, I think it's perfectly passable though. Uh, but uh, and, and musically, uh, the composer who did all the music for the game is a French electronic DJ named Danger. Uh, and uh, I, 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 have you ever heard of the uh, this person? That 
Sounds vaguely familiar. I used to know a lot more about electronic music than I do now. Yeah, he has like a a few albums actually, like dating back from like twenty seventeen. And you know, he's made a, a name for himself. I think he's also done like like chip tune stuff, and I think that's how the Game Bakers kind of like got a hold of him because he you know he he, he did some stuff in the video game uh, space back in the day. But uh, yeah, he did the whole soundtrack for this, and like the vibe that he brings. Because it is kind of like a sci-fi space odyssey slash romance kind of thing. Like his music really adds uh, to the wonderful artistic direction that this game is. Uh, so I'm being very coy about the plot other than the initial premise. And I think that's because I loved the plot. And I wish I had played this game before we did our episode on like our favorite um, you know, romances in video games. Because these two shot way up for me by the time like i rolled credits i love these two i think their relationship is very real i think they just feel like a genuine loving couple and you know and it's not just that like you you see them in their in their high moments when they're you know in love and 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 and, you know fine for one another but like you see them when they're upset with one another you see them when they're annoyed with one another and like and but they but like a real couple a real couple that like that communicates like they they talk it out they they communicate with one another and they they work through it like a real couple should and like oh it's it's so i i can't stop thinking about it like i i've i've Beat the game like five days ago or something like that and like i can't stop thinking about these two and like the story and and how and 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 how much like their story touched me and and the ending that i got to and whether or not i feel like i made the right decision um but uh yeah dude like this is definitely worth picking up uh it's on everything like like i mentioned and if it's on sale uh digitally like i uh definitely you know again check out uh uh, you know check it out see it see a trailer see if like the vibe is uh is up your alley and then you know if you have some time this took me about like eight to ten hours to get through so it's not a long game at all but so uh, i think haven might be a nice unique one for most people to check out awesome it definitely sounds interesting i want to check that out yeah so i got a couple more uh and i won't talk too much about uh these two because uh this is uh the next two games i just kind of started uh this 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 is a game that I started like three, four days ago after I finished uh, Haven. But this is a another indie game, pixel art indie game uh, on Switch and Windows. Uh, this is a game called Eastward. This is from developer Pixpill. And I looked them up because I never heard of, heard of them before. Apparently, they're a three-person team. Uh, and this game came out in 2021. They are based out of Shanghai. And uh, this is very evocative of you know those old top-down rpgs from back in the day like in the super nintendo uh even like early playstation one days uh and the the pixel art is just so expressive and beautiful and artistic and the colors are just vibrant even in the parts of the game like in the beginning where it's it's where, where you're like where you're underground and it's muddy and it's just kind of supposed to look derelict uh it like this this game just gives a vibrancy that just keeps drawing me in and i wasn't expecting to fall for it in the way that i did but um i started playing this you know on the tv so erica was watching it and she fell in love with it too and 17 hours in We've been playing that much of it. Uh, like, I I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but I think this game is a masterpiece. Ooh, so what? Uh, Rami was the name again. Uh, Eastward, E 
E-A-T-W-A-R-D. So again, it, it came out uh, late 2021 in September. Um, so the premise of this game, again, top-down RPG. Uh, you play as a silent protagonist named John. He's like a scruffy old digger. Uh, and he, and he, his combat is that like he swings a he swings a, a, a cast iron pot around or cast iron frying pan around, uh, just like Rapunzel from uh, Disney's Rap- Disney's Tangled. Uh, and in in the intro movie, you, he he came across like I guess during work or whatever, like this stasis pod with a young girl with like long white hair named Sam, and he just kind of adopted her, take her took took her under the wing and. Just like with Haven, I'm I think I'm gonna stop my plot synopsis there because this the so far the story has been very engaging and it takes these weird not weird, it takes these shocking dark turns that I was not expecting, especially with how jovial everything is. Like it really earns dark moments and um yeah, dude, I, I'm I'm so obsessed with this game and I can't wait to finish it. It is it, the combat is so um just tight and it and and it does everything that you know blood rain betrayal fresh bites does wrong it it does it does all those things right like you have full control over the combat like the the game isn't difficult but there is a bit of a challenge to it um the chiptune soundtrack is 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 infectious and like anytime uh like like the battle music comes on like i just i'm just humming it along um you know, even though there's no voice acting, like all of the characters, because of their expressiveness with their pixel art, is just you know they're they're, they're so memorable and like they they give off such um such a vibrant personality, and I'm I'm so endeared to all the characters, you know, even the side characters and stuff. Um, but yeah, dude, like I I can't wait to see where the story goes. Um, again, I think this might be a masterpiece, like just up there with some of the best games I've ever played. So, um, well, that kind of phrase, I'm going to have to look into this game. Yeah. I was not expecting like this level of like masterful gameplay mixed with incredible story details and just beautiful pixel art. Like some of the best pixel art I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. I was just expecting like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I, I used, I used to play a lot of like top down, action rpgs let's just you know this one looks cute because i think i saw it at a a indie world direct a a couple years ago and just kind of stayed on my radar put it on my spreadsheet to keep an eye out for it and i found it physically finally and wow easy easy big surprise from me man well that is awesome and uh, because of our episode last week, I started playing The Outer Worlds. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so it's a game I haven't, I, I've never finished, like I mentioned on the on the last episode. But uh, so it was a perfect opportunity for me. Like, you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm going to finish that game uh, because uh, the rest of the year is going to be super busy with new releases as far as uh, uh, my end. So I want to get that done. Uh, finally get that under my belt before uh, some of these bigger games start coming out. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. I've, I've been pretty busy the last couple of weeks. It sounds like it. Whew. All right. So, you know, like I mentioned with uh, Blood Rain Betrayal, you know, that kind of sparked uh, uh, this topic for us for this week. Uh, Daniel, there's been a lot of game franchises, you, g- game franchises that you and I have come across throughout the years. Uh, you know, you have a you, know, you, have, you have a good list that you came up with. I've got a list as well. Uh, we're going to need to keep the rest of them uh, to the side. Uh, and today we're going to highlight uh, three from me, three from you. 
I don't think there'll be much uh, overlap because uh, just give you a heads up. A lot of these were around the time you were a baby. You were a baby. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I figured there probably be a lot of overlap because mine are all from games that the last game the series was about ten years ago. Okay, I mean, yeah, that that counts as dead in my opinion. Uh, but uh, yeah, so for me, these these are PlayStation One, uh, sometimes PlayStation Two games. Uh, well, you know, the oldest one here came out in 1998, uh, and then another game came out in 2000, and you know, the first one and the and my third one came out in 1999. So it's a, a like a very formative age for me, especially when I first started like getting really into video games. Uh, you know, it wasn't just a thing that like I really liked to do. Like that's when I really started to discover like, wow, games can tell us tell incredible stories and like you can get super immersed into these worlds and, and like, it's such an artful way to tell a story and stuff like that so uh yeah do you like when when you think of like dead franchises like do you do you think for the most part like some of these deserve another chance or do you think for the most part this is just wishful thinking on like hardcore fans to like ever bring them back uh I was at three. I have one. I think at this point might just be wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two, I have a little more hope for. And well, when we get to it, one of mine, I found out there might be a better chance of it coming back than I thought. Just doing research for this episode. Oh, that's awesome! That's always like the fun thing too. Like you know, I was doing research on some of the franchises that I love that I haven't heard from in a long time, and uh, for one of them at least, and I'll you know I'll talk about it in a future episode. Like there was there, there there was inklings that like something might be coming along so uh, you always love to see that right like that, that that's there's no sometimes there's no greater feeling than like something you love coming back dude exactly uh so let me go ahead and uh start us off over here uh for my first game i would like to bring to the table put it out into the universe that the i'm sure it's not just me i'm sure there's a lot of people around my age who had a playstation one and uh you know was just picking up some cool japanese games here and there and uh you know i, I promise you like this is the only time i'm gonna bring up this franchise but you know we were big fans of like final fantasy right so you know there's a you know after playing final fantasy 7 we're like oh what's next what's next well final fantasy 8's coming down the way like we're just hungry for final fantasy 8 well there's a little game in 1998 called Brave Fencer Musashi. And it's a little kind of like anime. He, I mean, at, at least the character model looks very anime. Uh, like an anime action platformer, I think. We, we probably... Uh, games have evolved so much since 1998. But um, like I, I'd call it an action platformer. Like very similar to The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Well, the, the big the big selling point for Brave Fencer Musashi is that like it came on two discs, where one disc was the game, and the second disc was a demo, was an early demo of Final Fantasy VIII. So I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, uh, picked up that game specifically just to play the demo, and there was a great game on the side as well. Uh, but, uh, but in all seriousness, like Brave Fencer Musashi is a game that I've, I'm really shocked, really didn't go anywhere uh there was a playstation 2 sequel kind of reboot of source of sort called uh, musashi samurai legend in 2005 so full like seven years later which you know back in that day back in those days when when game development was as, as big as it is today that, that's a lifetime right like nobody knew who musashi was when that sequel came out but um uh yeah so yeah like i mentioned like there's so many like um uh similarities to 
of the legend of zelda ocarina of time where i feel like especially because this came out in 1998 like i feel like this was trying to be the direct competitor to it um of course everyone was you know everyone flocked to the legend of zelda ocarina of time and i'll be honest rightfully they should have but there's something here like there there this is a cool game where the combat really is really fun you can steal powers from enemies there's this cool little hub world where as you continue to rescue people who are trapped in crystals they would make their way to the hub world and like they would either give you items or they would give you hints to new side quests or they would give you hints to like some treasure you can go find and it just felt like grand adventure and um even back in 1998 when a lot of games weren't doing voice acting like this game was fully voice acted like even little you know ancillar characters like the baker of the village like he had a little silly voice and sometimes i just wanted to go talk to him because he had a silly voice and i wanted to hear it um yeah so i don't know like if you have any uh, familiarity with this franchise at all if we, or if you've ever heard of it daniel i i unfortunately cannot contribute much to this conversation <laughs> i have literally never heard of this series yeah in my life. i imagine yeah but but i do recommend though like after this after we're done recording this episode like go go look up a, a trailer for brave fencer musashi like it looks so cool and charming dude and like i think you can like i, I think a, the right developer could take this premise and like just make their version of this game by you know by keeping the core mechanics alive right like the, the, those those kind of like stat based rpgs where it's not turn-based you're still doing action heavy stuff um and you know there's some platforming elements and there's cool like combat scenarios and like the legend of zelda itself its direct competitor has evolved so much even from the even from the n64 days where you know i feel like games keep chasing what that franchise is doing but no one is really doing that old style anymore and i think that old style still holds up uh so i think i, I think you're we're, we're capturing a an 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 unserved market here by maybe taking musashi and like even just a full remake i think i think would hold up to the to this day because like i think it was a little forgotten gem like i mentioned people just picked it up just to play final fantasy 8 early and <laughs> kind of just forgot about this poor little guy well i i fully embraced anything being remade as long as there's an audience for it so this sounds cool to me yeah i mean you've got you, you've got me uh so you know I, I from my understanding like the only real way to play this uh original playstation game now is uh just from the playstation uh what, what do they call it playstation now right yeah play, the playstation now service yeah so i wonder if they're gonna bring this one like because I, I think with the new service now they're they're kind of like up the older games instead of just like a direct download um so I, I i hope that this game somehow gets some sort of resurgence you know square has been um uh bringing back really really unknown uh, uh lesser known titles as of late uh live alive for switch is coming out like at the end of this month and like i've never heard about that game so like so if that game can have a second life like yo dude bring back brave fencer musashi i fully support this <laughs> i promise if you look at the trailer you'd be intrigued <laughs> i will do that <laughs> daniel tell me t- tell me what else deserves to be brought back from the dead i think yeah this one was interesting because i let's see because i was thinking about it and I'm not sure how much this this one has much of a chance, but back in uh, we'll say around 2006, seven, around there, I I was I my main gaming console was the GameCube, mm-hmm. and I as a and, you know, I just picked out whatever 
you would go to GameStop, I'd pick out something that like looked cool. And I was really into as a you know shooting games because of many years of playing like Halo, Star Wars Battlefront, and like uh, Ghost Recon with my brother. I was really into games like that. Mm-hmm. So I found a little game called Medal of Honor European Assault. Oh wow, yeah. And uh, you know, and I kind of stuck with it. I really like so. That, so fun fact: I knew I was a big Medal of Honor fan way before I knew anything about Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this kind of came out around the same time that the first Call of Duty did. Yeah, I don't remember exactly the timeline of that, but yeah, because this one, European Assault, came out in 2005. So it looks like the first Medal of Honor game came out in 1999 on the PlayStation. Dang! That's the <laughs> old school FPS. Yeah, tell me about it. But yeah, that game was really fun. Like, I. I say I don't I'll be mad, I don't remember much about the story, but just me as like the local multiplayer, like me and my dad, me and my brother, me and my friends just playing that. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. I say, and uh, I you know, I, I think I played a, I played a, you know, a few more Melamar games here and there. I you know eventually got into Call of Duty, so that kinda of took over. And I was kinda of shocked when I looked up when I was looking this up, there hasn't been a Medal of Honor game in ten years. Yeah, like uh, I think the Medal of Honor like reboot where like there's that grizzled old I'll be honest, yeah. he looks like a Trump he looks like a Trump supporter. <laughs> he looks like one of those guys that have like Blue Lives Matter like flags on his on his big white truck. But <laughs> but that reboot from like 2010, right? That's the one you're you're referring to? Yeah, no, 2010 and apparently there was a sequel to that one in 2012. Oh, really? Yeah, and I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> and apparently yeah, I looked at it, it did terrible. And I was shocked too because I, I remember EA was really pushing 2010's Medal of Honor. It was a, it was a straight up call like Medal of Honor. They were doing like a, a basically a, a hard reboot on it, and they they right. I think they really wanted to give Call of Duty a direct competitor because at this yeah, point, like, you know, yeah, we were we everyone was playing because of the success of uh, Modern Warfare, especially like everyone yeah. like flocked to Call of Duty, and they they kind of changed gaming forever, and they kind of yeah. went unopposed. Yeah, like I, yeah, because I agree, and, and you can totally tell that 2010 reboot was definitely them trying to. Ant, that was their answer to Modern Warfare. Yeah, and did you end up playing that one? Uh yeah, I did. I didn't. I I liked the story. The story was good. It's, uh, it's not really what I particularly like of from my military. Show. I much more games like Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare Two, where it's clear that uh, you know all the pro flag waving is very much like that's not the point. <laughs> Was this, this going in the opposite direction? I d- uh, it felt like really weird, like especially with the pro, like after the credits, it just it's like interviews with like former special ops people, and it seemed really like not pro war, but not like war, ro- but romanticizing the military. Yeah, like Ooh, very much like that. And I'm like, I honestly wonder if that's why the sequel really tanked because I'm like, that is not really the way that people want stuff well it was weird is it also it failed because it got it did that but also failed to capture that audience because so many like pro-military people were upset because in the multiplayer 
one side was the Taliban, and they were and like military stores refused to carry it because the most way you play is the Taliban. Woof! <laughs> oh my gosh! Like, so it was like read the room, like, EA. Yeah, well, they came out. They came out later. It's like, oh, we changed it to the the opposing forces. I'm like, you didn't change the character models, though. <laughs> yeah, were they still wearing like turbans and stuff too? Yeah, yeah it's, oh, it was wow. very stereotypical. Yeah. yeah, so it's just like I, and they said Warfighter did terrible. And EA has pretty much just shelved it since, like, they just realized, like, so I'm almost like, I wish EA would just let the reins, like, give Medal of Honor to someone else and see what they could do with it. Yeah, they've got plenty of other studios out there, uh, plenty of other, like, shooting uh, shoot, shooting studios, too, like DICE, like DICE yeah, does, like, like yeah, yeah, but though, from my understanding, I'm not sure DICE could handle it because uh, the last couple Battlefield games have also gotten abysmal reviews, so... I think that's more EA's fault too, because EA right. has like uh, had this initiative for I don't know however many however many years now that like like they have to use this engine that like nobody likes using. I think it's right, called like Frostbite. It. Yeah, Frostbite Two, I think, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah that's and one like of the nobody that... likes using it, and it's like hard to use, right. and like they're trying to shove it into all of their franchises, and like right. So like, yeah, I think Battlefield Battlefield included. Yeah, well, because it was originally it was designed. The first game they used Frostbite Engine was Think Battlefield Three. Oh, okay. So it was designed for first-person shooters, and as I know is like because I keep up with it is that everyone's breathing some sigh of relief for the new Dragon Age game because Bioware said we're using, we're not using that. They said we're going <laughs> back to the old. And they said they had to fight tooth and nail for with EA to like they have to make sure it's like no. Because originally, apparently, the new Dragon Age was supposed to be basically an MMO that used the Frostbite engine, and they were just like, no one's going to play that. <laughs> what an announcement to me. It's like, yes, we're not using an engine. <laughs> They're like, we are going to use the... Uh, crap, what is it? I'm drawing a blank right now, but... I see them. But uh, they're using the engine that everyone's... That you know most, most RPGs want to use. Unreal? Yes, probably the Unreal. Oh, okay. Let's see. And they said that the new Dragon Age is going to be single single player only. Mm-hmm. So, so, like, what... I mean, are you familiar with, like, the Battlefield series as well? Like, what's, oh, yeah. What, I, what separates I, Medal of Honor from Battlefield, if you don't mind me asking? I definitely, because Battlefield, or at least the one I got into, Battlefield Bad Company 2, was, like, that was my game. Like, I played... I I love Marvel for 2. I was much... I was better at Bad Company 2. Like, Bad Company 2 was my game mm-hmm. back when I played online multiplayer. Definitely because Battlefield, uh, they stepped away from it, I think, when they got, like, Battlefield 3 and 4, but it had a much more tongue-in-cheek attitude. Like, the, oh, okay. like, the, like the characters in Bad Company 2 were, like, more loudmouth, like, you know, they were, they were more jokey. It had a slightly more lighthearted tint. And then with Battlefield 3, they went way more into, like, just being a straightforward, like, you know, very much just trying to be Call, Call of Duty, Duty and, clone, and, yeah. and I think that might have honestly been partial part of what led to Melvar's downfall because then there was really no differential between the two, and Battlefield was was better made. So, yeah. So, if Medal of Honor were to come back at this point, like what 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 would you want to see from it? Like, do you want it to be like more narrative focused? Do you think that would be like where EA would? kind of focus more on like maybe a multiplayer shooter or somewhere yeah. in between or what do you what, I, what, what are I you thinking think, i think you could get away with it but you have to do something about the style or the way the game plays that separates it from just not being another call of duty clone and what i would think is don't go for near future 
high tech warfare because that's what every first person shooter is doing right yeah, now. Everybody wants to be modern warfare, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to do like I guess what they do with Black Ops Three or whatever, where it's like near future, like twenty forties, twenty fifties, with like high t- with this high tech stuff. And I was like, yeah, don't do that. So, like maybe just make a straight up World War Two shooter or maybe a world war one like something like differentiate yourself you know with a name like medal of honor too like i think it would be cool if like they maybe took a more historical stance on some of their gameplays like maybe work with like you know uh historians or something and maybe try to uh try to like make narratives around like real world battles and like real generals and like people's real accounts of some of these things that i think that would separate itself like from both Battlefield and Call of Duty, you know? Exactly, and I feel like that's what they used to do. Like, all the old World War II Medal of Honor games were always based around these historical battles. Like, you were in these major battles. And, like, I I said, it's just like, we don't really get World War II shooters anymore. Like, and that was the big thing for a long time. But we just... Yeah. I think I, I think also, you know, just from the outside perspective, too, like, World War II shooters might be a little oversaturated. Like, but there have been plenty of battles since right like all around right. the world so like maybe we can right. tell those interesting stories yeah like that's one of the reasons i think black the original Call of Duty black ops hit such a chord is because like oh no one really has done a cold war era yeah cold war FPS. vietnam i know vietnam might be like a more like controversial thing to you know to to, to play because of how controversial yeah. that war is but like that there's still interesting stories to be told there exactly so I said I think this is very doable to make it good, but I unless EA gives it to one of the other studios, I, I don't think we're gonna be seeing much from this. Somebody needs to buy it from EA. Yeah, just just, <laughs> just do that. That's its only hope. <laughs> Pretty much. So uh, Mike, what what's the next game you have? All right. Stick in with the original PlayStation here. I was sure that this next game would be like the next hit, right? This would be like the next Resident Evil. This would be the next Silent Hill because, you know, while it kind of plays similarly to those types of games, it was kind of doing it in a more fantastical, um, uh, kind of kind of fantastical style. It was like, it was neo-noir. It was future cyberpunk. It was like Japanese horror. And this is a, this is a franchise called Fear Effect. Uh, so this is... I, I first discovered this because of a full page spread in like the the official PlayStation magazine or something like, or one of the ones that I uh, subscribed to way back in the day. Like, oh my gosh, 22 years ago. I'm so old. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, this is uh, a, sur- I guess, survival horror-ish type of game where the art assets are kind of based around like this for you know back in the day this new cell shading technology that made everything kind of look like it was cg but not cg but kind of hand-drawn animation but not um but uh i mean first what you got to do is get in your time machine go back 22 years and like look up cell shading and like you trust me you you'll you'll be blown away but uh, uh everybody does it nowadays but like from you know back in back in the year 2000 like it was cool uh interesting technology and they and for this style, this kind of neo-noir cyberpunk future uh, Japanese horror style that this game was going for, like it was it was awesome. And uh, what separated this from 
uh, like, you know, games like Resident Evil or Silent Hills, like how narrative focused this was. Like it really played like you were watching, like you, like at least when the cutscenes came along and there were a lot of cutscenes too. Like even though this game was like six, seven, eight hours long, this game came on four discs on the, on the PlayStation one, simply because it was trying to hold the data for all of the cutscenes, And so, so it kind of gives you an idea of how narrative focused it was. Um, so you play as like three different protagonists. Like uh, the first one is a woman named um, Hannah. She's a former prostitute turned like femme fatale assassin. And then there's a guy named Glass who's like an American uh, mercenary or something. And then there's this dude named Deke who's like this big boisterous Australian like like he's always like walking on the edge of death and stuff. Like he's, he, he doesn't care whether and whether or not he dies. So he's always like, uh, so he's always like taking up all these like really dangerous missions and stuff. And the premise of at least the first fear effect is that you're, you, you, the three of you are tasked to retrieve the 18 year old daughter of like this, this, uh, this giant corporation, the daughter of this giant corporation's president or whatever and turns out that the person who kidnapped her is like the human disguise of the king of hell uh and as the king of hell uh is is portrayed in like in in like chinese mythos too so it 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 turned into it turns into like this asian horror stuff and like you actually go to hell uh in like the last part of the game too well of course yeah, of course. Like, I mean, it, for just like most games in, that come out of Japan, like your final boss, you'll either kill the devil or kill God. Uh, but uh, so you, you see why I'm always like <laughs> drawn to those types of games. I just grew up with those games all the time. The, but what what was cool about this game too was like how edgy it was. Uh, so you know, in 2012, I was 14 years old. So you know, I wasn't really supposed to be playing this game. It was rated M. But it was like really pushing the M. Like there is nudity in this. There is like buckets of blood. There is like weird demonic stuff that like made me very uncomfortable at the time. Uh, there's like hardcore cursing. Uh, there's talks of like prostitution and like you know mass executions and stuff. It is edgy, dude. It is edgy AF. And I think there's a there's there's a time and a place for it too there's still like a bit of camp to it like it didn't take itself like super seriously but um i think with the art style and the fact that we don't really have a lot of good i'll say it good like uh, uh like survival horror games outside of like the resident evil franchise nowadays like like we we've been waiting for a game to like like take us back to those days for so long like give us the fixed camera angles give us like and you can keep like this cool cell shading like art style too because like it, it it holds up to this day like i'd rather take a, a a game from the past that like went hard on its art style than trying to be like super realistic because you're just going to date yourself you know whenever the next iteration of the console comes out so like because of that like they chose a really interesting aesthetic like the art style holds up so you can i i'd say even like clean up this game and put it out today and i think people would be drawn to it that sounds, it definitely sounds very interesting. Again, you've probably never heard of Fear Effect, have you? <laughs> no, I have not. I'm sorry. I'm probably not giving very much help. No, no, it's fine. I, that's why. I, that's why I was interested. That's why I was interested in uh, talking about this today because, like, I wanted to, you know, bring it to your attention and see, like, this might, like, kind of, uh, you know, get you interested in, in in these franchises at all. Like, even even if you know you and or any of the listeners go and check out 
um, like a trailer or something for Fear Effect or even like a full playthrough. I'm sure somebody can speed run this game in like two and a half hours. So basically a movie. Like, I think that would like get the algorithm gods to like let IDOS inter- IDOS Interactive know like, hey, people are interested in this uh, in this uh, in this franchise. But uh, a couple of years later, or like a year or two later, they released a, a sequel called Retro Helix, where it introduced another character who was like the lover of Rain. Uh, one of my first uh, uh, video game crushes was uh, Hannah from this game, and then I found out she was a lesbian, and I got I got. I got very disappointed, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Fear Effect. Like, there's there's not a lot of like neo noir like horror stuff out there. Like, we're definitely not doing a lot of like uh, survival horror stuff nowadays. Nowadays, and like this hard like adult style. Like, who's doing that nowadays? And 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 also taking it earnestly with with like a bit of camp. Like, nobody's doing that nowadays. So like, th- th- there's a huge market for it. Do, just do it. Oh. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Just do it. Daniel, do it. Tell me your number two. My number two is another game series that I was kind of shocked that I didn't even notice until I started looking up game series. I was like, wait, it's been like nine years since we had a game it's from this dead. series? And just... This is so... Uh, I always think about, again, going back to a game my brother played on Xbox. I watched him play back in probably like 2005, 2006. And uh, we, as I, I watched him play this game where you, as I, this little game called uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. I almost put Splinter Cell on my list as well, dude. Nice. As I, yeah, because I was like, I loved watching him play those games. Like, I don't remember anything about the first two, but Chaos Theory I definitely remember. Mm-hmm. Was like, yeah, that was, was the like, third one, uh, and I I remember when I first got an Xbox, the Xbox Prime, I like to call it. Like I kept the, the Splinter Cell series was like always one that like I wanted to get into because I was a big fan of like Metal Gear back in the day. So I just wanted more like stealth games. So, but 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 again, I, I never really got into it. But like, so you 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 get to tell me all about the Chaos Theory and the Splinter Cell franchise. Yeah, so that's a really fun like. Yeah, stealth shooter, and I as series progressed, uh, I played Double Agent, I believe. Uh, I see. At one point, I played that. Uh, so I don't remember much about Splinter Cell Conviction, unfortunately. But I uh, mean, the last game in the series, Blacklist. Holy crap, that was a good game. I played a demo of that on uh, Xbox 360, and I remember like really enjoying yeah, that. Oh yeah, it was so playing. great. Like, yeah, I know Black some were upset great. they changed the, the voice actor. For like Sam, but the smoothest I'd ever seen. The yeah, wasn't story it like was Michael Ironside or something? Right? Yeah, he, re- yeah, he like replaced Eric's stealth Johnson. aspects. Oh, and okay. really, the multiplayer, was, that was amazingly fun. Yeah, how, how does multiplayer work in a stealth game? Is it just basically okay. a game of tag or what? <laughs> no, it's really good because it's called Agents versus Mercs, uh-huh. where one team, they have it's 3v3, where you have... One team are the agents, so it's third-person stealth, like you're trying to download, you're trying to hack and download data. The other team are mercs, where it's first, it's locked first-person perspective. So it's like basically one team is playing an FPS shooter, trying to hunt down the agents and kill them before the download can be completed. While the other ones have to sneak around and kill the mercs to keep making them respawn in their respawn zone, so they can't stop the hack or kill all the agents. Dude, that sounds sick. It is like the most creative. Like a multiplayer mode, I've seen like for a game like that, and it is just amazing. Like, and I love it. And I, 
it's so weird because I don't think Blacklist was it was ill received. I just I don't know why Ubisoft just shelved this game. Yeah, I don't think any of the Splinter Cell games were like ill received at all. Like for I've always like read reviews because you know they came out pretty consistently back in the day, and like they always kind of ranked in like the eighties and the nineties. So the fact that yeah. like this series just kind of died after what is it twenty thirteen? You said like yeah. And also in 2013, like the only other competition they had was the Metal Gear series. And those games came out every seven years. And like nowadays, there's no Metal Gear. The only other uh, stealth franchise, you know, back the big three back in the day was Metal Gear, Siphon Filter and uh, Splinter Cell. Siphon Filter died a very embarrassing death after like, you know, poor game after poor game. Metal Gear's gone. Like, why isn't Splinter Cell like capitalizing on this? No, like, like you, like if Ubisoft just, and apparently I looked at it. The only thing I find is like in December, Ubisoft said they're going to be making a remake of the first game. A remake. So just, I, I hope that's like a full remake, and not just like we're going to pretty up the first game and send it out to die. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we could hope. Like hopefully it's like they just have like new engine, and like totally recreated. Like we yeah. hope that. But I can't, I can't really find any information other than that it was announced. Yeah, the, the 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 treatment of the Splinter Cell franchise, I feel like is 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 a crime. And you know, even as somebody who has never like really really dove into that series, just kind of touched upon it here and there. But like, I always admired it and I always respected it, uh, just because I've always heard good things about it too. Like, the, just the fact that like Ubisoft is just sitting on it and like not doing anything with it that's just that's just sad man yeah it's just like it continues to be some of the things that just may, i just, i find very questionable about you how ubisoft decides what games take priority yeah i mean this is what 2013 so like you know uh, uh assassin's creed was like still becoming like one of the biggest franchises of the, in the world so if you were i guess if you weren't making assassin's creed money like we ubisoft didn't care about you i guess yeah, it's just like, and my thought is like, is that what Ubisoft saw for us? It's like, well, if you want to stealth the game, just play Assassin's Creed. <laughs> oh, yeah, so stealthy. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, do you think Splinter Cell's ever going to come back? I would really hope so. Like, you know, we've been really But do you about- think it's going to come back? I didn't ask if you hope so. <laughs> do you think it's going to come back? Is it possible? It might have to be uh, similar to a Metal Mar thing. Like, Ubisoft might just have to give that to someone else. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's that's so crazy. They're not going to do anything with it, but they're not going to sell it either. I'm so right. baffled by Ubisoft and their business decisions sometimes. Exactly. So yeah, that's all I have for that one. Uh, Mike, right on. uh, what's your last one? So similar to you know Splinter Cell and like you know a company just sitting on a franchise that's just raring to go. It's right there. Just do it. You know, Capcom has been sitting on this franchise for a long time. Uh, back in the late 90s and in the early 2000s uh resident evil was was beginning its uh its ascent to take over the world of video games being becoming one of the biggest franchises the big biggest franchises in the world even to this day like we are eagerly awaiting the remake of uh part four uh coming out in january i believe uh you know uh, rumors are abound about part whatever part nine is going to happen uh part eight is going to have like a big dlc coming out later this year uh but back in the day uh in order to kind of i guess maybe 
recoup some of the funds of the engines that they built on the Resident Evil series, Capcom made a little franchise called Dino Crisis. And <laughs> <laughs> I am familiar with this one. Oh, good. It's one that you've heard of. Nice. Uh, and it was basically, it was it was just resident evil but with dinos dude like it, you still you controlled That's it with amazing. tank controls you it was fixed cameras like you still had that weird in, inventory management thing that was like that added a lot of the attention because you can't just carry anything you want all the time you know i get back in the day like in the 2000s when uh when this when this franchise was a thing but like there wasn't really like a lot of dinosaur media to kind of get people excited right like the, the jurassic park films like they kind of came and went in the 90s so like people weren't really talking about dinos but like now that like jurassic world is kind of you know i guess still a thing like i guess the third yeah. one's out but like you know are, are people i don't do, do you do you hear people talking about jurassic world i i do i having watched the first two movies i'm i'm not entirely sure i know why but <laughs> but yeah like you know jurassic park like that dude the, the that first movie that was everything i loved as a child you cannot find someone that loved dinosaurs more than me as a child oh yeah dude and like most most of us like who like were most of us when we were just children it, hard stop love dinos there's something like there's something like so mysterious about them even though they you know they walked this planet millions of years ago like there's so much we don't know about them and that's rife for horror and i think exactly uh, yeah I, I think like the dino crisis series was like really smart to kind of capture that kind of unknown factor about dinos and you know how the media kind of you know romanticizes them as these like apex predators and things like that and like oh and how jurassic park even kind of hinted at the fact like oh some of them are really smart too like they're capable of of like ambushing you in 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 a pack and stuff well dino crisis did all of that and it 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 baffles me with how how popular resident evil got and continued to be that like dino crisis just never followed suit and i don't know if it's because like like i mentioned like dinos just weren't a thing in the media so like they just felt like maybe we we don't need to do dino crisis but like the game is like was always great <laughs> i mean it, it was literally just resident evil with dinos like <laughs> and how could that like how could that fail <laughs> how, how could it fail so, so they only made like three games which is which baffled me and like the first one was really good the second one was really good granted i never played the third one uh but i heard it's not great that one kind of went to uh xbox prime and they kind of turned it into like a futuristic thing and kind of like really took the magic away from it from what i understand but like but like you know just like with those uh recent resident evil remakes with uh two and three and you know four coming out in in january if they just did a remake in that style like where it's where it's just taken so earnestly and like that beautiful resident evil engine that they built for resident evil 2 and 7 and 8 and 3 and and all the future games that capcom makes from now on because i think every every game that capcom uses makes now is like using the resident evil engine like if you if you, dino crisis and that re engine would I, I guarantee you trillions of dollars of income right, right. <laughs> would come in makes, just from dino crisis dude exactly and it makes sense like and i my thought is if you go with the dinosaur angle there's precedent for dinosaurs being a slightly more of a thing in gaming now you have arc survival exactly 
Vin and, Diesel, uh, dude. <laughs> exactly, and, and even Monster Hunter, which is basically you have you you killed Velociraptors with katanas. <laughs> yeah, dude, Alien Velociraptors. So, you know, another Capcom franchise is a uh, you know I, I'm sure wait, they don't want to. Wait, wanna... wait, 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 is that a wait? Is that a is that a game series? Monster Hunter. Oh no! I thought you said Alien Velociraptors as a game series. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, no! I want this. <laughs> it, it, yeah, Alien Velociraptors is a game series. It's called Monster Hunter. <laughs> ah, fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the the, the 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 fact that like Resident Evil is so popular and like the it, that's that is literally just the the foundation of it. Like it, the, the 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 premise is there. Like. I don't think people will like ask much of anything of this series. Like even if it's just like, Oh no, this research, this research facility has been taken over by dinos. We've been, we've been secretly building whatever the heck of the, the, I don't remember the story. The, of the, plot, the plot doesn't really matter in a game like that. <laughs> I didn't play dino crisis for the plot, <laughs> but, uh, but they could turn it into something that was like serious and scary. Like just like the resident evil remake. So like, Oh my gosh, Capcom, what are you doing? And I remember, the what was some state of play or some oh it was the game awards uh last year it started with like this giant butthole laser in the sky and like die like literally thousands of dinos like pouring down and like taking over this major metropolitan city i'm like oh my god this is dino crisis isn't it it's some weird game that capcom's making i don't know i don't know I i forget what it's called but like they clearly are interested in dinos. <laughs> Just do a dino horror game again. Oh my god, it's it's right there. Like I said, the future is now. <laughs> I say Capcom. Do I, it. I, there there are rumblings though that Dino Crisis it, they're doing something with Dino Crisis. So I think this is a highly likely um thing that will come back in the future. So again, I'm just putting it out there putting out good vibes into the universe you know and and i hope that the listeners will do it with me look up a trailer you know do hash do a hashtag dino crisis on a random tweet and just let's just see what happens you know <laughs> it's like oh dinner today was great i i did extra cheese on my pizza hashtag dino crisis just see what happens like see I what promise, happens. the next the next tweet i make i will do hashtag dino crisis oh god no please <laughs> I had a great time at that Me Without You concert. Hashtag Dino Crisis. <laughs> uh, Daniel, what's the last game you got for us today? Last game I have, this is the one that has the least amount of time since the last installment. I believe it has been about six or seven years since the last game. So. Okay. Borderline, whether it's dead or not, but uh, I don't think the company that made it as if they literally sold the game, so like we'll see what happens in the future. But oof, woof. I see. I am thinking of back in 2011. I I'm wanting like all of the cool games that are coming out. Just kind of checking out. For sure, it was E3 of 2010 or 2011. I see this game that really piques my interest called Deus Ex: Human Revolution. Oh, oh, heartbreak heartbreak that's <laughs> it and like i said it, like i i don't I actually never i never got around to playing it i just saw playthroughs of it and i was so interested in it and, you know, i was i did not have much disposable income to buy these games mm-hmm. but the game looked great oh it was great i played this and, game oh no, no trophy it's on my back ca- backlog i'm gonna find a way to play these games that's it and just 
everything about this game for I say like I and when I thought about it, how how we haven't had a game since 2016, and Ugh. Square Enix doesn't has sold the game. The yeah, they sold the developer that like made this game. Oh my gosh, what a heart! And what a and, and and I can speak on this a little bit because I played both Human Revolution and Mankind Divided. Um, the it's it's a it's criminal what they did to um, Mankind Divided in particular, but like Human Revolution did really well for for from all my understanding like it sold really well it got high critical marks uh, cr- uh the, the the fan base seemed to love it too because it was a little bit of a soft reboot from uh, the original deus ex from back in the year 2000 um but uh, it, and it was one of those games where like it gave you like co- like almost complete freedom over what uh, how you could tackle some of these missions and how you built your own uh, player character and uh, you know how you kind of went about the game you can take as much time as you want with the game and build out the characters and build out these stories and build out your relationships and before you're taking on like the final boss or you can kind of you know or, or you can like go as quick as you can and both and both play methods are valid exactly like it's a, and i remember like i watched so many playthroughs of this i just wanted to oh as a of it because i just I, I was so enthralled with the way it played and the story and like i said really sad that it's just something i got missed i just missed out on actually playing it but i loved it and i will look at it and thinking about this for doing this episode maybe like man i really need to get my hands on those games mm-hmm. <laughs> i need to play them i do have to warn you though for uh mankind divided uh if you are looking for a complete story you might have to fork over some of the some of those bucks because the game literally ends out of nowhere. And uh, if you want to get the rest of the story, you have to pay for the post content DLC. Thank you, Square yeah. Enix. And that left a large, you know, really bad taste in my mouth in particular. I was very upset with that. You know, when I when I pay full price for a game, which I did in, 20, in 2016, like I expect a full game. And to literally, you know, gate an ending, an ending to the game. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Now that says, I remember all the news articles about that and all the let's play people like just like just so angry about that. Like it's it's so ironic to me that like Square Enix, you know, obviously they did they made that decision and they kind of you know forced Eidos, Eidos Montreal's hand to you know make that decision to cut that content. It's obvious to me that they did that to make money uh, when, in fact, the word got out well, what they did and nobody ended up, and the word of mouth spread like very negatively because of that. And then like nobody gave them any more money. So it was like, don't treat your fan bases like they're stupid. Like I, the, the American wing of square enix is just so tone deaf and so like money hungry and it's just ugh, I, I i'm so frustrated with them like so in particular with, with their treatment of this franchise like this franchise was like very respected even with like you know human revolution and for them to do this to like mankind divided and essentially kill their kill like a legacy franchise like this out of pure corporate greed is just infuriating and so it's like it part so part of me is like you know now now that you know uh idos uh is no longer with uh 
under the wing of Square Enix. Hopefully they can bring this back. But um, you know, if if this was if Square Enix still had uh, had like any sort of like monetary reimbursement for any Deus Ex game, I just I, I hope that it stays dead forever because Square Enix does not deserve this game. Exactly. Like that's what I saw. I was that's what I say. I did some research for this and realizing that uh, Eidos was bought by Embracer Group, formerly THQ Nordic. So I'm like, yeah. okay, why? Well, that's a company I trust. Yeah. So I mean, so there's maybe, there, we can cross our fingers. I think this might be coming back at some point. In what capacity? I mean, who knows? Yeah, like other, it's like it might just be like a remaster of one of the older games or something. But any, I say, but hopefully it'll be a fully new game. Because yeah, I think they yeah. might test the waters with like maybe a human revolution, like uh, like a. Maybe a remaster i think because because yeah. gameplay wise like it holds up i think they just need to polish up the, the 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 environmental stuff and the character models like and i think it would like do great nowadays too so yeah just polish it up and, and engage the audience see if they're still interested in this franchise because like aesthetically it's beautiful like that cyberpunk kind of blade runner-esque uh setting that it's in like oh yeah can never yeah, go wrong was, with that and that was my and that was my main thing. I was like, okay, well, Cyberpunk 2077, you know, kind of you know, had some issues and landed a little flat with a lot of people. <laughs> so it's like if if Embracer can can do really well with either a remaster of an older Deus Ex game or a new one and really hit, they can like capture that market. Because you know, I mean, I love the Cyberpunk aesthetic. It's always been a thing I've loved. So if we can get a really good game in that style and that genre, I think it would do great. Yeah, you know, and granted, I know game development is hard and you can't just snap your fingers and be like, boom, this game is back, right? But like now is literally the time to bring this franchise back, especially with how um, CD Projekt Red kind of fumbled the release of Cyberpunk 2077. Because like now people are hungry. People people have been like, you know, uh, really looking forward to Cyberpunk and it just kind of, you know, it, it came out in the way it did. And, you know, now is the time to give people those experiences that they that they wanted and i think a game like uh, you know deus ex where you literally can like make your make your jensen like however you want augment them however you want all those things that like cyberpunk promised didn't fully uh fulfill when when the when the game finally released like deus ex was already doing that so you know if you just if, if you just kind of expand on those on um on on those gameplay elements and you know kind of modernize it you know modernize and tighten everything up and you know make everything gorgeous on playstation 5 and series x and and whatever that new graphics processor on pc is called uh, <laughs> uh i think you got like a bona fide hit on this hand and you and especially now that you don't have the the, the greedy money money grubbing money grubbing uh you know mitts of square enix kind of over overseeing all this yeah, I definitely agree. Like that's that's uh, that I said the time. The time is now. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I, I think that I think that's highly likely. Yeah, like like you said, Embracer Embracer Group owns this this uh, this franchise now, and I think people are hungry for it. So I, 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 I'd expect within this decade, which sounds pessimistic, but I think within this decade we'll see some t- something Deus Ex uh, related. Yeah, hopefully so right on my friend so yeah all great picks and uh you know i i I would just love to snap my fingers and you know have new iterations of all these franchises come out but uh for now 
Daniel, what you got there? Well, Mike, I, as a, um, actually last night, uh, me and the fiance were just scrolling through Netflix, wanted to have a bit of a movie night. You hate Netflix. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, from now on, you're never allowed to mention Netflix without me giving you guff about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Let's see, but uh, yeah, so we were flowing through movies, and a movie that I remember, I think you and I talked about a while back on there. Uh, we decided to pop it in, so we watched, um, we watched Marriage Story. Oh, are you guys okay? Yeah, yeah. We're- <laughs> <laughs> oh, woof, dude. Oh, that 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 is that is sad porn. If I ever heard, if I ever saw it, I <laughs> said definitely. Like I. Like all I know is the one scene. So like I knew where the where the movie was headed, but mm-hmm. I had no context for the rest of it. And I am just going to say that is the best performance Scarlett Johansson has ever put out. Oh man, both of them! Like oh, it's same. Like I was like an Adam Driver too. Just I've seen great. Adam Driver in like a you know a few things, and I'm always impressed with Adam Driver, even in films that like I don't necessarily like, like you know Rise of yeah. Skywalker. But uh, like he's always like the best at what he does and like those two especially that scene and we all know that scene they are just acting the heck out of it and i think they were both nominated for oscars that year i i would hope so all right let me let me see if i can look it up here uh, it looks, like, looks like there's a whole um wikipedia page about the the accolades received by marriage story so let's see academy awards uh so both adam driver and Scarlett Johansson were nominated but did not win for Best Actor and Best Actress. Laura Dern won for Best Best Supporting Actress, though. Well, at least someone got something. A Star Wars won. Yay. Laura Dern was in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's a great movie. And just like, I, I was thinking at first, maybe the movie was supposed to be portraying it as like, Look at these two flawed people that both have their issues. And, like, I guess, yes, they do do that. But I'm like, very clearly, it's like Adam Driver's character is just a horrible human being. Is he, though? I, I, I know he's, like, you know, work obsessed and, you know, doesn't really care for his wife as much as he probably should and doesn't communicate with her, probably should. But is he horrible? I, at least to me, again, I get at the end of the movie, he's definitely at least trying. He comes off from like the very first scene as emotionally manipulative gaslighting as a like just like just the way Scarlett Johansson talks about him. I'm just like, oh, my God. Me and my father's like, like, this woman acts like she's been brainwashed (laughs) a a little bit, too. Yeah. And And we also don't know like the entirety of their marriage, too. So I also kept that in mind whenever I was watching the the, the film. And, you know, I I think you're meant to not like uh, Adam Driver's character at first, but you know, I think you're supposed to be endeared to him, right? And I think that's the idea with, you know, seeing the story also from Scarlett Johansson's point of view is that like you you see why she fell in love with him. Yeah, that's like I, that's like, I definitely see that. But yeah, I, like, I think at least the, me and the fiance took Scarlett Johansson's side more than we did. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did too. I was just I was just playing devil's advocate. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. Nice, but dude. Yeah, so that, that's awesome, that's man. I'm glad you guys got to see that together. And I'm glad you guys are still together after watching that awful, awful movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a great movie, but it makes it feel awful afterwards. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. My, my, my heart is heavy just thinking of the film right now. 
All right, Mike. So, uh, what you got there? Geez, something a little bit more lighthearted than a marriage story, dude. <laughs> Daniel, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Dragon Ball Z? Uh, it, it was a large part of my childhood. Absolutely. Me too, dude. And, you know, while I don't follow Dragon Ball anymore these days, like I've probably seen like three episodes of Dragon Ball Super or something. And I've seen a couple of three more than I have. (laughs) There you go. I've seen a couple of the movies that like Super, you know, kind of is based on. Um, But uh, this past week, uh, a fan film was released uh, by by a creator named Nasir Pasha. And uh, his studio is called uh, Katsuka. C-A-C-A-T-S-U-K-A. I'm going to have a link to this uh, story in the description below this episode. Uh, but he, it took him four years to make this 11-minute Dragon Ball... I guess it's more... It, 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 Dragon Ball Z. Uh, it's, 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 it's a Dragon Ball Z fan film. Uh, he calls Legend a Dragon Ball Tale. Uh, I don't believe it's on YouTube because uh, Koei Tecmo is very notorious for flagging and taking down anything dragon ball related that they didn't do but oh my gosh like the love and care that was put into this and i don't normally like fan films i'll be honest here like sometimes i'll just like okay well that was fine but this is legit like crazy and it's the animation style is gorgeous and very reminiscent of like mid to early 90s anime when it was still like hand drawn, like every frame was hand drawn and stuff. And nice. yeah. And like, it's, it's just a, it's just a quick little 10, 11 minute thing, but you can, you can still tell like the reverence that this creator has for this series and these characters. And like, he really understands them and, um, and, and he really just loves this franchise and like every frame just oozes, oozes with love and care. And it really got me like on a dragon ball, like, uh on a dragon ball hype train again uh, it's so good so uh, if, again if you haven't seen it uh it's called legend a dragon ball tale uh you can probably find it if you just do a quick google search but if uh, but if you'd rather just you know click click on one link i'll link it in the description below uh you know check it out before koei tecmo flags them and sues them into oblivion <laughs> well i will definitely check that out all right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Daniel, for uh, and, and talking video games with me. Always, a, always a pleasure. And I hope that you guys are uh, doing well over there in in your monsoon season. Hopefully so. And I hope you're doing well in your drought season. Oh, uh, we're we're never okay. That's our secret, Cap. <laughs> wow, uh, second time you've used that today. <laughs> uh, my hope is to go to the beach and just like bring home buckets of water because we need it. Uh, but uh, well, we're we're trying to make the best of what we can for summertime. My my least favorite season. I just count down the days that uh, fall gets here. But uh, <laughs> but we're making the best of it though. So again, uh, really fun talking to you, my friend Daniel, and I hope to talk to you again soon. But uh, like we say every week when we refuse to let old things die to feed our never-ending nostalgia. GG! GG, everybody. Goodbye.